0: This podcast is sponsored by X-Ray, the leading quality assurance and test management app for Jira. More than four and a half million testers, developers, and QA managers trust X-Ray to manage over a hundred million test cases each month. It's a mission critical tool at over 5,000 companies in 65 countries, including 137 of the global 500. With X-Ray, you can plan, execute, and track your testing with full requirements traceability, supported by both manual and automated tests, Including BDD using Cucumber as well as JUnit, NUnit, Robot, and others. Discover the future of testing and start your free trial today at getxray.app.
1: Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tester's Island Discs. It's episode 39, and it's a a special one again, because um, as some of of you may know, um, I was was always just a caretaker of this island, um, and it just so happens that the original inhabitant of this island is back, and uh, he's taking over hosting duties. So we thought we'd do one more handover episode like we did before. So welcome back, Neil. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Missed I missed
0: you. Uh, I escaped the island briefly. It was a bit like in Lost, I think. I managed to get on a raft, but I paddled and paddled for about a year, and I just ended up back on the island again. But it's a, it's my second home, effectively, and uh, it's weird sitting on this side of the microphone as as the guest. I did 25 episodes
1: as host originally, and um, being on this side, little unnerving, I have to say. Yeah, I'm not totally confident in my hosting skills. I feel like this is like the end-of-term test. <laughs> <laughs> Of which I have a particularly cruel lecture, if uh, if anyone heard the notes before uh, before we actually went live. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Neil. What have you been up to, mate? Well, hey, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's been
0: a weird old year for everybody. But I mean, the reasons yeah. why I stepped aside from the podcast in the first place, I will try and summarize as quickly as possible. The um, the most ironic one is when we talked on episode 25, the original handover episode, I was talking about my then job situation and the fact that I felt like I was getting stuck in a rut. And what I really needed was to get made redundant and that would shake things mm. up for me. And yeah. then about a week before the episode went out, I got made Effectively made redundant. We'll talk about it in a bit. But um, I'd moved to Manchester originally um, because of the job market. So I'd positioned myself to be in a good place when something like that happened. And I was able to jump into another role quite quickly. So that was good. But as for what was taking up my time, I actually, uh, I met a wonderful lady called Louise the week that I moved to Manchester, and she admits that she listened to this podcast before our first date. So wow. this podcast is now responsible for a marriage, for a start, and <laughs> which also happened last year. One of the songs that I picked on that podcast was um, Churches, Here With Me. And that was one of the songs we played as we signed the register
1: at our wedding last year. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. So podcast you didn't, you didn't choose any of my picks then? No,
0: not, not so much. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> fitting uh, but um if that wasn't enough we also uh, we had a baby in march uh, a little baby boy named gus who arrived without want to dox him it was the week of lockdown that that happened oh, so wow. uh, it's, it's been a while time but things are beginning to settle down a bit and obviously I, I always wanted to come back so i'm
1: delighted to have the chance well if i dare make sweeping statements like having having the first Having the firstborn, it does kind of just feel like lockdown anyway. Like <laughs> you, you don't really notice what's going on outside of your house for a while until you sort of kind of come up for air a few weeks later. I found.
0: Yeah, it's been one of those things that if you look at it, we can be really grateful. It's, I've effectively had free extra paternity leave. Obviously, I've been working from home, but you know, I've I've ha- I've got what I always wanted to have <laughs> this time. I don't have to leave the house every day and then come back and find I've missed uh, all of the firsts.
1: Well, I would say, yeah, so I had a similar situation where I was made redundant just after our child was born as well. Um, and to be honest, it was it was not a surprise I knew that it was coming. Um, so there's definitely no ill will there, but it, it did kind of work out as an advantageous thing because obviously then after I joined Ministry of Testing, but I did get to have basically another extra month added on to my paternity as well. Even though it was sort of out of my own pocket, but it was still nice to have that sort of time with the family and kind of establish those bonds before sort of coming back into working life.
0: Yeah. The only really weird thing has been all the advice we were given and all the books you've read have said things like, you should rely on your family to come around and cook meals for you. It's like none of this stuff in these books is applicable to the current climate. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that they don't think about these things in these these books. <laughs> Absurd. So we're going to do uh, this is our third podcast together. Like I think with with between us, like we must be taking up a good ten percent of the podcasts of just you and me nattering to each other. But uh, we have to keep up, keep on coming up with innovative ways to do song picks. Uh, so for this time, uh, we've decided to pick. Artists that other people on the podcasts have chosen, but we get to choose a song of that artist's that we like the most. Um, which is it's been an interesting thing, and certainly, uh, I've, I've, I've pushed my luck with it. Um, and because Neil managed to get like an extra one because he rigged his um, rigged. Google <laughs> Assistant last time, I get to pick an extra one. So, um, I think I'll crack in and talk about my first song pick now and then we can you can catch us up proper about all Go the things it. you've been up to Go for it. so i it's it's a kind of obvious one for people who are rock fans um but uh it's a sort of staple for me so i picked uh foo fighters which i think foo fighters have only been mentioned once to my surprise i'm surprised they've not come up multiple times but yeah i went with uh foo fighters and i picked like an. One of their earlier songs, uh, which I think is still classic, is my favourite. Uh, hey Johnny Park, because I just think it's got the best drum intro ever, and it is—it's the best song on that album. No matter how much my wife thinks that uh, Monkey Wrench is better, oh no, Everlong. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I went with Hey Johnny Park because it's just—it—it just. It, it just crushes as it kicks in. And it's such a great song. And I hope that uh, Ian, our editor, makes sure, hint, hint, that he puts that drum intro in first. That was "Hey Johnny Park" by Foo Fighters. So, yeah, you've had a, a lot going on. Um, how are things sort of on the kind of on the professional side, on the testing side? What have you been up to in that sort of space?
0: Well, obviously, I found myself remote working again, which is something that I have done full time in the past. My previous role at Zoopla was a full time remote role, and I spent a lot of the time in that job kind of being a proponent of remote working and saying, hey, everybody should do this. It's you know, it, it's better than you might think it is. Um, the big difference between when I was doing that and what everyone is doing now is I chose to do that. I went into that job knowing that I was going to be doing a full-time remote role. So I was in the right headspace for it. I had even moved to a new house to do that job because the internet in my village where I was at the time was like a capped at one meg, which was useless for remote working. So I, I moved, you know, I I was fully set up to, to work Uh, in a remote environment the difference now of course is everybody has been thrust into this overnight which was a big burden obviously on on it departments in the the early days make sure the vpn's were working and everything Um, they did some really stellar jobs there i think there's one of these memes during the rounds that says yeah what was the thing that uh modernized your it strategy was it you know discussions over a long period of time or was it covid happening (laughs) um, so weirdly a lot of the things that i was really pushing as as plus points for remote working are things that have impacted people in sometimes a negative way. So things like people getting Zoom burnouts. I'd never heard of that before. I used to work in a team where we had you know, two or three regular conferences a day, everyone with their cameras on, and it was fine because we were used to it. We were set up to do it. We weren't working around families and things like that. So um, it's learning to adapt to the fact that Remote working isn't for everybody. And I think mm. the, the mental health burden is one of the bigger things. When you're trying to fit your life around your job, it's something that I always enjoy doing, but I can see why others wouldn't. Um, I mean, the one, plus, the one plus side, I think, is at least the pandemic arrived at a time when we've got quite mature messaging platforms, when you've got things like Slack and Teams and you've got Zoom yeah. and Hangouts. Can you imagine what would happen if there'd been a pandemic when we were all using email?
1: Although I believe Teams died like about a week in they had like some sort of massive infrastructure issue for like 24 hours or something like that. Cause they just, they just, they, they couldn't scale in the way they wanted to or something like that.
0: Again, fortune of fortunes. I managed to miss that first month due to my actual paternity leave. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, seem to
1: I remember that. an article about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean the, the- the good things about remote working are still there. There are things like the fact that you have a lot more time to focus. You can actually control your own workload a lot easier. You can shut off the streams of input that may be distracting you on a daily basis, or ideally you can. Whether others allow you to is, is a different story. and um, We'll talk a bit about the, um, the problems I've seen in a bit. But um, I think one of the challenges is, as it always has been, when you don't have face-to-face communication, when you're either doing text chat or even on um a zoom call that that layer of communication removed can lead to cross wires and misunderstandings um i've seen sort of <laughs> quite heated debates rise up over a misunderstanding of a single word it, it was ridiculous there was yeah. one we had where um i was in a meeting with my team and we were all expected to be in another meeting straight after that and someone from meeting number two messaged us on teams and said are you coming there's no one here and i was in the other meeting. So I quickly fired a message saying, all I said was another meeting overrunning. And my boss, it turns out, saw that. And whereas I, whereas I meant it as we are currently in another meeting, which is overrunning, he saw that message and thought I was saying, oh my God, I can't believe my boss is letting another meeting overrun. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So he, yeah, he jumped on the call with me and was furious. And I was like, I honestly don't even know where this is coming from. And that was my biggest learning moment to just take a breath, understand what's going on. I think we we both learned from it, to be honest, and we we both get on a lot better following that misunderstanding. But there are opportunities for things to go wrong that just don't exist when you're all sat in the same space.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a pressure on, or like a, a dedication to communication that's required in a remote setup that you don't necessarily have in person so that yeah when you have those those flashpoints you really do have to sort of consciously go well let's take a step back and look at the sort of you know like the, the meta of it of like well what did I say and how could that be interpreted because I've had similar sort of conversations as well like I, I've been remote working now for god nearly four or five years and that that's that's happened multiple times where it's like Like, yeah, that sort of initial sort of visceral reaction of like, oh, why are you so annoyed with me? And they're like, oh, I see. Oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. And then you sort of, by taking that step back, that can be really useful as well.
0: Yeah. What I've seen is that the current climate really exacerbates any existing relationship issues that were within a development team. So for example, if you were someone who traditionally found it difficult to talk to developers when you could see them face-to-face, it's even harder now because there's a higher interaction cost with starting that communication with someone and saying, boom, hello, I'm going to interrupt your day now. Um, One of the real things that I found uh, that's really helped with that is if we're using something like Slack or Teams to really really manhandle the status indicators if you want to be working mm. on something set your status to busy i used to think that i wasn't allowed to do that unless i was in a physical meeting but actually if i just use that if if green means i'm available i'm not i mean something that that can be interrupted if it needs to be then people could look at that indicator and go okay i'll just jump in now um obviously there's a danger that you forget to unset those but um yeah actually indicating whether or not you are really available to chat can really
1: help for everybody It's interesting because I've had similar experiences with that and I don't think that that's worked very well um, because there's that lack of discipline or some people, I don't know, either consciously or unconsciously use things like do not disturb um, and they're do not disturb all day. (laughs) And given that the company policy is do not disturb that person if they're marking that becomes very difficult because you're like, how do I reach out to that person who's that? And then you end up in situations where you end up talking with sort of senior management and they're like, my door's always open, you know, come speak to me whenever you like. But then it's like, but you're always do not disturb. And they're like, yeah, because I'm busy. And it's just this contradiction with that. And yeah, you, I think it works if there is due diligence put in place and you are committed to ensuring that you, you keep your status update updated and stuff. And everyone, I think everyone has to be honest. Otherwise, it does start to sort of fall to pieces a little bit.
0: Yeah. As with everything, communication is key. And if you're in an agile team, for example, and you're having regular retrospectives and bringing up that sort of thing, it's really important they are able to do that, to, to build that culture of trust, particularly when everybody is remote. And there has always been that culture of, in the old days, in the pre-COVID days, when you say you worked yeah, before, before. Yeah. <laughs> in the olden times, working from home and oh, you're doing the gardening. And, and I think now that everybody has had a chance to experience what remote working is like, I think we're eventually getting up in a better, more understanding place.
1: I think there's also uh, more trust because I, I used to get really sick and tired of that whole thing of, well, if I can't see you, I don't know what you're up to. Um, And it's been my experience that you end up working longer hours and harder when you're from home because you're filling in that commuting time. There's a difficulty sometimes to separate the two things as well. Um, And yeah, you just end up working more. So you end up doing more, but you're at the same time being potentially accused of not doing anything because there's just this this visual element to it that I can't see you, so therefore... I'm concerned, and I used to it used to drive me mad, and that's why I think also, I think there's going to be a shift as well, which is more about the output of the individual rather than the hours that they clock in, which personally, I think could only be a beneficial thing. Yeah,
0: I could talk about this stuff for hours, but there's one more point off the back of that that I'd like to make. And that is one of the things that testers have traditionally always struggled with is demonstrating the value that they bring. And Mm. I'm finding that's even harder when you're remote because a lot of my interactions with developers is happening direct with them in DMs, for example. So it's not actually visible. So Mm. I I look back at our Teams chat, for example, and it may look like I've not been doing much during a day because I've not done anything in the main team channel. One of the ways I found around that is that I've always done traditionally anyway, is I've always tried to keep a list of my accomplishments so that when I'm having one-to-ones, I can say, actually, I've got all this stuff done in the last week. You may not have seen it, but it's happened. And you know, if you want to go and get um, speak to those people about how that went, then you can. Um, yeah. So the, the challenge of demonstrating what you're doing is uh, another thing that's hard to keep on top of.
1: Brilliant. Well, I think that's a good point. As you say, we could talk about this for hours. So um, let's put a pin in that for a minute. And Why don't you go for your first song pick? Okay. So
0: I'm going to go with a uh, band that were picked originally by Nancy Kelm. She picked Guns N' Roses. She picked Welcome to the Jungle by them. Uh, Now, this is a song that narrowly missed out in my episode, was it zero or one? Whichever episode that I picked my original five songs in. Um, Mm. I want to pick November Rain, but specifically I want to go for the live version Mm. that was featured on the Live Era album. The reason this version in particular works for me is when I was at university, uh, in the student union, there was a jukebox. And if you wanted to get the most value for money out of your 30 pence, you picked the longest songs. And the version of November Rain on the Live Era album is 12 and a half minutes. It Mm -hmm. starts with a three minute uh, piano solo by Axl Rose. And everything else, once the song itself kicks in, everything else is just amped up to the best version of that song. Uh, Even like... Max Rose has some little vocal flurries, a different to the original version, and they're all better. And Slash has longer solos and they're all better and it's the ultimate version of this song. I'm also gonna be quite choosy about which clip I'd like played. There's the final solo that Slash does at 10 and a half minutes is, I don't know how you measure the quality of solos, whether it's in notes per minute or something, but Ooh. this hits like 250 notes per minute when he's doing these little runs and it's note perfect. And it's the most in tune I've ever heard, You know, man and machine working together on a, on a record that I've ever heard.
1: So that was November Rain by Guns N' Roses, specifically the Live in Japan 1992 version. Um, we'll make sure we get that tracked down. Um, so I guess there is this this question around with the remote working stuff is that now that we've been it, kind of exposed to it en masse. I wouldn't choose the word exposed. Exposed. <laughs> Um, experienced is that a better word? A uh, experience, yeah. <laughs> it's the flipping uh, teachers' notes coming through again. <laughs> but it's, yeah, is it a case that we're going to see more of this, or when, or if we return back to normal? Uh, you know, is it going to go back to the traditional? Everyone back in the open plan offices around the whiteboard stuff.
0: I mean, at this stage, it's still kind of a crystal ball while um, while the pandemic is ongoing. But there are more and more news reports about high-profile companies either announcing they're going to be fully remote for the rest of the year or permanently. And in, fact, in recent weeks, I've seen stuff on LinkedIn from companies who are saying, in some ways, this is kind of the best thing that could have happened to them. They were in, in the process of about to sign expensive leases on new properties because they were expanding. So they were going to buy new premises and actually... Now they've learned to adapt to this new way of things that they don't necessarily need to buy a massive amount of city centre floor space. Yeah. Um, now, of course, that does leave the companies who have already done that. Um, I mean, my own company, for example, we opened a, a new purpose built office in the middle of Manchester last August, which is now, um, although partially reopened, is mostly sitting idle. And I can understand companies wanting to get value out of that. And also, there's the stuff, there's all the rhetoric at the moment around that the government are giving about city centres. Need office workers, you know, to survive. Be it the pretz of this world, or just having people spending money in retail sectors. Those coffees aren't going to buy themselves. Yeah, <laughs> but I think companies are definitely going to need to adapt, not just because of the virus itself, and and you know, for the health and safety reasons. But workers are going to have newer expectations now. I think when people are asked to return to the office, I don't know who has or hasn't been asked to do that yet. But first of all, the questions are going to be, well, what is it that you're expecting me to be able to do in the office that I can't already do remotely? Now, it may well be in certain sectors. The face-to-face communication is much better. And I'm thinking particularly of things like exec boards who want to do big Long distance planning meetings about you know plotting out the next twelve months or whatever. It's probably much easier for them to do it face to face rather than electronic whiteboards and things like that. But I think yeah, workers are going to be uh, the key to driving who goes back to the office and when. And there is some some kind of troubling messages at the moment coming from from the UK government in particular. We see it in particular across the world with schools and the fact that we're still seeing. Uh, infection rates rising across the world, and yet we're determined to reopen the schools. And my wife is a teacher who, thankfully, is still on maternity leave for a few more months. But I think teachers are the next people to get thrown under the bus. As much as the the NHS has been lauded and protected through a lot of this and celebrated, teachers Hmm. are getting a pretty raw deal right now. And I think in the private sector, we're a lot more fortunate
1: yeah it's i've I've got a few people in my life who are teachers and um it's interesting talking with them about how they've adapted in different ways so some have um heavily gone into using things like teams and there's, there's this whiff of this whiff of uh, enterprise solutions being sort of foisted on onto them from above. Mm. Um, But then there's other people that use um, sort of purpose built tools and starting to leverage them all. So um, my kid is uh, in nursery and we use a tool called tapestry. Um, So there is, this is all, it's like a, it's kind of a social media platform, but it's designed to make sure that everything's super locked down and it keeps that sort of connection between the teacher or the nursery worker, the parent, and the child, and that works really well. So I wonder as well is that not well? Not only will we see this sort of explosion from working from home, but will we see all this sort of explosion in new tech that sort of comes out um, to help support these different contexts? Because just because you're at home doesn't mean that you're not got specific challenges based on the sort of the space you're in to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah, I think, again, it's driven a massive maturity in tool sets that's happened really quickly that wouldn't have happened through any other means. I mean, I work day to day with Microsoft Teams, and the things that I'm hearing that people now need from Teams that you never could have anticipated a year ago. Uh, again, I've, I'm hearing school stories about when they're running classes over Teams, and I don't know whether they fixed this yet, but there was a time when a moderator could not control whether other people were on mute. So if you had a classroom of 30 kids, they were all just able to unmute themselves and just interrupt at any given time. I think think they may finally fix that now. But I've also seen uh, in my organization that when you're running like a live meeting, like a company-wide meeting, and there's an option to allow people to uh, ask Q&As anonymously, and there's no option to turn that off. And what that meant in the early days when we weren't, you know, we hadn't found our feet yet. People mm. were asking questions anonymously, and knowing they were anonymous, they were asking some very—I'll um, say—poorly worded questions. Uh, they were—they were insensitive, and um, they were—they 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 ca- were covered by the cloak of anonymity. And to the extent that we've had to implement an internal policy of you know our online meeting etiquette, because the tool won't yeah. turn off anonymous m- messaging, so we've had to say, "Do not use anonymous
1: messaging unless you have a, a good reason to do so." It's interesting times ahead. That's for sure. Um, well, I, you know, I don't know if there's much more to sort of talk about it or if there's all day to talk about it. It's, um, I think the re- really interesting thing is that
0: it's proving to be as, as much of a, a mental health crisis as a physical one. Obviously, the, the, the uh, coronavirus is, is terrible, but the impact it's having on people's mental health when unchecked is um, quite devastating.
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, for me personally, like I've, I've realized like just how unbelievably lucky I am to have a garden. And I know that's sort of like almost a cliche thing to say now, like after sort of six months of this, but just having that open space to, to be in and away from the desk has been, it is a privilege to sort of have that. And whereas others, you know, they're in the house, they're in the flat and it's 24 seven. And there's, yeah, there's that real challenge to sort of break apart like your personal life and work and also, you know, keeping yourself healthy, like both physically and mentally at home. Right. I should uh, pick another song because this is starting to get uh, uh, slightly dark. <laughs> um, so uh, what am I going for? What's my next song? Okay. So yes, I, um, I'm i cheating a little bit with this one um, because... Basically, uh, Frank Turner has been mentioned multiple times um, throughout the the series. uh, And a few of his solo bits and pieces um, have popped up. Uh, But uh, to be like a hipster, I knew knew, uh, Frank Turner before he went solo. (laughs) Um, But I I was a big fan of his uh, original band, Million Dead. Um, and I was in a band myself at the time And we actually got to support him Just as he started going solo um, Which was an interesting experience But yeah, so he had um, They did a couple of albums with uh, Million Dead And the second album, Harmony No Harmony was, uh, is, It's a great album And it's one that uh, both me and my wife go back to quite a lot actually um, it's, oh, it's nearly Must be getting on towards 20 years old now, that album But we still listen to it quite a lot <laughs> So I've picked um, one track from that, which is called To Whom It May Concern. I don't really have anything else to add <laughs> that. So Ian, just put it in there. <laughs> and Ian, leave that bit in. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So that was To Whom It May Concern by Million Dead. So yes, so you said, was it like a week after we did our podcast? You prophesized your redundancy and then it happened? It was pretty quick and technically I wasn't made redundant. It was a
0: very weird situation where there was a, a redundancy consultation process during which they revealed to me there were some potential other roles i could take within the company except those roles had other people in them so if i wanted to keep my job i had to interview myself out interview someone else out of a job effectively and i wasn't prepared to do that so i actually walked missed out on redundancy pay etc etc it was it was a bit weird like the only way i could have got redundancy money would have been to deliberately throw the interview and and not have I'd have appeared to not be capable of doing that other job, which was weird. That's, that's very odd. Yeah. Time. And I didn't want to successfully interview for the job, get someone else made redundant, and then decide to walk away a few months later. So the, for me, the thing to do was to walk away. But I'd seen it coming. I mean, I moved to Manchester because of the strength of the Manchester market. I knew it was the place where there were companies that I wanted to work for. So this comes into my my big first big point, because obviously a lot of people are experiencing either furloughing or redundancies that are happening all the time. And with the furlough process coming to the end in the UK that there are, uh, I get the feeling that there would more redundancies to come. I'm seeing news on particularly my friends in LinkedIn on a day-to-day basis. I'm saying, oh, okay, crap. Uh, You know, I didn't expect you to lose your job. Um, The one thing I would say that I've always lived by and demonstrated in in that last job change is you should always have an exit plan and in the world of spies they say you should always have what they call a bug out bag which is you know the the bag you grab you you know if your cover gets blown you just need to go bang on on onto the next thing and this is something i still do on a day-to-day basis i'm perfectly happy in my role right now and i really hope it does continue and touch wood i think we're doing fine but if I were made redundant today or tomorrow, would I know what my next move is? And the answer is yes, I know exactly who the next company is that I want to work for. And I can, I mean, I could put it in an envelope and seal it to you and, you know, give it to you and we'll open it in you hopefully a year or two. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I really don't want to tempt fate. But what I can do is I can look on a daily basis and say, am I doing everything in my power to make myself look appealing to that company? And I can pinpoint two or three things that I might do differently with my career, or where I might like to push myself more, so that when the time comes, I'm really appealing to that company. So that's something I could look at doing all the time. And I also, I really also need a plan B or, or be a plan C. (laughs) You know, if if that company is not hiring or it doesn't work for that company for some reason, do I know what my next plan is? And although I can't directly point to what that is right now, I have a good idea what my technique would be, and that's what I've always done, which is. It sounds cliche, but sort of know the market. Um, have good contacts on Twitter, on LinkedIn, um, the you know MOT Slack, that sort of thing. Know who is hiring. Know who else in your area uh, is perhaps looking for work at the moment, so that you know you can uh, you know where where the interest is going to be. And I did a um, I did a CV slash hiring session at Test Bash Manchester's Open Space a couple of years back where we had a really good discussion. I'd been going through a time when I was fed up of reading terrible CVs and that sort of thing. And... Mm. A couple of really good tips I was given. One of them was by Tony Bruce, who at the time said he doesn't even have a traditional CV anymore because when he is either looking for work or he's hiring on behalf of a company, he has really good connections on LinkedIn already. He knows who is looking. He knows where he can find people. He knows where he can go for someone who might be able to hook him up with something. The days yeah. of a paper CV are not necessarily still um, still here or they are, uh, they're lessening. That said, there are still companies that do things the old way. And Uh, For example, I'm sure they won't mind me calling them out, but the BBC, for example, who are based in Manchester, when I was made redundant slash left my last job, um, I did approach the BBC and I had some really good chats with them, but they have formal processes that they have to go through because they are regulated. They and in the time it took for money supermarkets to interview me twice and make an offer, uh, the day I got that offer was the day the BBC approached me and said, okay, we'll give you an interview if you want. <laughs> and at that yeah. point, and they've got things like salary caps to worry about because they're banded because of their
1: public st- sector funding. Um, there are They're very specific with their questions that they ask as well, yeah. which... It's interesting because they're not very context sensitive. Um, So you do get asked a couple of odd questions and and there's almost an element of like, look, we all know that you have to be asked this, but just humor (laughs) us and give us an answer sort of thing.
0: But um for those companies who who do insist on a CV, the, the other big light bulb moment I had was from an e-book that was written a few years ago by Rob Lambert called Remaining Relevant. I think it was called Remaining Relevant in Software Testing. He's got a few different flavors for different markets. And the big reveal that I got from that was he said, you shouldn't ever have just one CV like the, this one piece of paper you send to every company who's, who's hiring, you should tailor... Maybe you'll have a stock CV that has all your basics on, but if you're applying for an automation-focused role, for example, you should send them a CV that is focused on your automation skills. And I've been doing a lot of coaching and BA work recently, so I've got a version of the CV that if I was to go for a role that's more focused towards those things, I send them that version. Knowing that, I can also put a link to my LinkedIn profile, which has everything under the sun on it. Um, Really make sure that when you're putting yourself forward for a role, you're doing it in the best possible light for that role and not just for, here's the thing I send to everybody.
1: There's a good little trick that I learned from a CV workshop years and years ago, but it sort of goes to that sort of customized CV thing as well, is that... um, What I was taught was look at the job spec, find out as much detail as possible, and find out what are the three core things that they're trying to solve. So, like, maybe it's like the three main things in the roles and responsibilities, or two of them from that, but there's like a block of text before it that's talking about some sort of challenge they face. And then in your CV, you actually put three bullet points at the top of your CV that says something like, Mark is a tester who can. And then you actually uh, add in three solutions, like three sort of things that you can do that map to those three things that they want solved so if someone's looking for a test manager, for example, I would put things in like can lead a team or mm. has experience of managing stakeholders. Whereas if it was automation, it'd be like built frameworks or it's comfortable in the languages that just so happen to be the languages that you put in the job spec. Because that's sort of that's at the top of the CV. It actually um, it has impact because it's a case of, hello, I'm Mark. I can solve your problems. Um, and I've, I've actually found that to be quite effective I've found it to be effective but then also with the massive asterisks of white male privilege as well which I feel should be added in there as well. but I think it's it, it does at least it gives you time to sort of focus on the job description or the role and understand if you are the right fit for it and then market yourself in the correct way.
0: Yeah, particularly in the current climate where there are so many people going after jobs at this point, um, you've, they have traditionally said, I think there's like a five-second rule of that's how long you've got to catch someone's eye when they're going through a massive pile of CVs. So anything you can do to separate yourself that has got to be a yeah. bonus. I'm certainly going to take that tip on board. The other thing is there are a lot of recruiters who use, I don't know how they work, but things like keyword scanners who will just feed your CV through an algorithm and say, does this tickle the boxes? And it's worth, again, yeah, looking at the, the job description, and trying to mirror some of the language into your CV in case they are, for example, looking for Selenium. They're, if they're physically doing, does the CV contain the word Selenium, then make sure you're yeah. caught on that. Even if it's to say I once did a, a three-month course in Selenium, I've not used it in the workplace, but you know, I know how selectors work and
1: that sort of thing. Yeah. Another one I, I like. – you've sort of opened an old wound for me, I feel, <laughs> um, is uh, the one that I get very frustrated about is um, – uh, people who don't celebrate their accomplishments accomplishments on their CVs, so you'll get four pages of the work they've done, and they've just put the roles and responsibilities. Um, which you know, if you're applying for a job that's similar to the other jobs that you've done, becomes very boring. Um, So actually being able to sort of read about things that that person's achieved, that they're celebrating and proud of, I think is much more engaging than, oh, look, you went to another job and you had to do exploratory testing or write test cases. It's it's much more engaging. And I think it also, it gives me the impression that there's something to hide or there's some lack of confidence in yourself if you're not... If you aren't shouting out, if you're not going to get another opportunity to shout out about yourself. Hmm. Um, so you should do it on your CV. Yeah, as much as we all hate things like
0: OKRs and objectives, they are framed in such a way as they make really good points for a CV. You know, you you have you, this whole thing about having smart objectives where you. Um, oh, I can't remember the acronym. I'm not. I'm not embarrassed to say I can't remember the specific, specific measurable attainable. Specific. attainable. Time limited is the T, are relevant, maybe? I don't relevant. know. Relevant. But the important yeah. thing is, yeah, they're presented as, you know, I want to do this thing so that this happens and we, you know, earn more money or we convert this to many more users. If you can present not just I sat there and I ran and executed test cases, but if you can say, you know, I reduced our time to production by, from two weeks to two days and we're doing this to get close to continuous improvement, uh, to continuous delivery, for example, then, yeah, that's the real. More, more attention grabbing than, yeah, you, you just lose people if you just start saying, I worked at this company and I did this and I did this and I did this.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, hopefully some of that stuff is going to be useful for others as well. Um, I don't think I've actually checked out Rob's book, so I'll uh, definitely put a link of that in the show notes. And I'm sure it'll become very useful for, for some other people as well. So we should uh, we should move on to song pick number four. Um What's so? What's going to be now? We're going for me.
0: So now this is my final selection, my final one of two. And I went through every episode that uh, we've had guests on since I've been a presenter, and it was really hard to narrow it down to just the second one. Um, Honourable mentions um, to people who've picked uh, the Decemberists and the Gaslight Anthem, both of whom I love. I couldn't quite fa- find an upbeat island song that I wanted by either of them. So I went with Of Monsters and Men, who were picked by Stu Johnson. He picked Alligator from their last album, Fever Dream. Now, the obvious song for me to pick would be their breakout single, Little Talks. It is my favorite song by them. But I wanted something that would really suit the island. And there's a track on their new album, which is called Sleepwalker. And it has this kind of lazy laid-back sunset vibe. Uh, the chorus in particular uh, by Nana Brindis is it's these breathy vocals. And I could just picture myself sitting on the beach of the island being very content listening to this song. <laughs> That was of Monsters and Men with Sleepwalker, as picked by, oh, me. We've had a host change. (laughs) I wasn't expecting to Switch mid-episode, but it appears we have.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think it's good to keep, you know, just keep the listeners on their toes a little bit, really.
0: Yeah, it's quite useful because it means we can now talk about what it is you're going to be focusing more on now that you can't do this beloved podcast.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, that's it's certainly been an interesting, I think, is it six months now? It's a been over one. a
0: year. It was last June was the last episode. It feels like it's gone by in no time.
1: Yeah. It's crazy to think it's been a year sort of working on this. But yeah, obviously, as we've been talking a lot about sort of the impact of um, lockdown and the changes on individuals, it's obviously had, it's been a challenge for us at Mott and, um, I think Richard's talked a little bit about it on Twitter about sort of the the, the challenges we face of the fact that I think we've come to realise is that we were a predominantly an event based company, mm-hmm. and we now live in a you know world where large events are not going to be appearing anytime soon. Um, so it's a case of what do we do? What do we do to not just you know not just cynically keep. The sort of lights on in the company but also how do we do something that's worthwhile and valuable to the testing community and keep supporting them and stuff so yeah it's been a real there's been it's. there's stuff that's bubbled up but we've been working very very hard to change things and sort of pivot internally um, towards this focus of um, pro that we've been um, sort of heavily sort of trying to sort of engage the community with and trying to get more people sort of signed up with so yeah it's a lot more now about being an active participant in a community um trying to make our site uh, more a place that you engage with um in terms of your sort of yeah sort of your your activities within the community in terms of your training as well whether that's the sort of the training that your like your work would like you to do or the sort of the remaining relevant aspects and stuff and trying to sort of offer that material and that work in like different ways so we've done a lot i mean we have all of the sort of our courses the test bash talks and all that sort of stuff but um doing things like the 99 minute workshops that we've just started, which are like two hour workshops that we run two to three times a week at the moment. Um, And we've had like, just the response that we've had from instructors um, agreeing to come on and giving courses and stuff. And that, you know, we're making sure that they're paid uh, correctly and well for their time. But having them come along and create these these smaller, more targeted workshops that basically are just free. Well, I say free, but with a pro license, you can access as many of them as you like. I think that's been, it's really sort of turned things around for us in terms of like how we think about how we share knowledge and we sort of engage with one another in, um, in the community. So we've been doing that, and then my job's kind of weirdly shifted in that I'm now a product owner, um, which is an odd thing to be on sort of that side and not be the one tearing down the ideas, but actually building them up. I've been doing a lot, um, a lot of design work as well. So we're doing a lot more for the the dojo itself. We're really, like I said, making it more engaging, and. Like one of the big things I'm really excited about that's coming out soon. Um, so you're talking about the, the whole sort of remaining relevant and talking about CVs and stuff. Now, like CVs are great to a certain degree, but sometimes they don't really necessarily show the quality of your work off or the things that you've achieved. So we're actually implementing a system where, when you so with like our online courses that you would do by yourself, like asynchronously you'll actually have the opportunity to submit the work that you've done for the training and then that'll be added to a portfolio. And that portfolio, it's almost like a Pinterest board of all the things that you've done. And you can use that as a means to sort of show off what you've achieved. So you could show off like exploratory testing notes. You could show off links to automation code that you've done. You could... Um, be asked to reflect on a definition of testing and actually come up with your own quote and share it and the idea being is is that you can share that portfolio with others and they can look at it and get a better sense of who you are as a tester and learn more about you that can work alongside things like um, cvs as well that's a really good idea i've always liked the idea of having a portfolio
0: but i think I can't use the stuff that I'm using on a day to day basis because it's it's company confidential, and yeah, yeah having a, a, a format where you could say, "Hey, well, this is how." I chose to approach this problem and then, then opens up the discussion of this is why I chose to do it this way and this is why I didn't do it this other way. Um, it, yeah, it gets the 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 conversation, the, the qualitative information about who you are. It gets that out um, a, a lot quicker. Um, MOT has always been a company for me that has been built by the community for the community. And it's great to see people like obviously Richard himself reaching out and finding what people want, um, how they would like to see that, um, particularly the, the pro um, membership evolve First, personally for me, one of the really really big things was the fact that there's now a a monthly membership option available. Because I'm always someone who who the um, the annual fee was um, for starters, it was very reasonable, but it was still sometimes difficult to to expense that to a company, for example. I am perfectly happy to 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 self fund a a monthly one for myself. If I look at the amount of stuff that's coming out right now, the fact that that also includes access to all the workshops, um, access to the the online conferences, it really the amount of stuff you're getting for that money. It's um, it's bewildering. And uh, it's great to yeah. that there's still more to come.
1: And, it, and it, it makes things easier for us because then we focus on what pro is. There's pro and we offer that for everyone. And we can then have that conversation about what pro is and, and how that can be expanded. Whereas I think before we had lots of spinning plates, which were all excellent, but they were hard to sort of manage because there was all these different sort of perspectives and different things that could sometimes compete with one another. So an experience I've had a few times is that we've we've found that we've got someone build who's an instructor is doing a course for us, but is also doing a workshop at an event or a talk and... You know, there's always that concern. I don't want to ever want to burn someone out or take advantage of them. So it's making sure that, you know, if it's all in the same pot, so to speak, then that works really well. Also things like, like, like you say, like getting the feedback from people, like it's helped to shift our views towards it's less about content generation because there's so much out there. Um, and what we're hearing now is, is that, um, the concern is not, yeah, it's not. We want more stuff. It's we want it organised in a way. We want it to presented in a way. Them? Yeah. So hopefully, we're going to be delivering pathways of learning very soon as well. That's being actively developed on, and that's all sort of kind of specced out. And that's hopefully going to be able to sort of take the catalog because we've got so much good stuff on the site, but it, it is just difficult to sort of traverse it at the moment. So if we can provide a way where it's like, hey, you want to do a pathway of learning in accessibility testing, just start this 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 course, uh, sorry, start this pathway and it will take you through the courses and it will guide you through the material. Um, we want to sort of encourage like the use of topics as well to so, sort do that stuff as, as well. So yeah, there'll, hopefully there'll be lots of different pathways. I hope to actually meet, uh, reach out as well and it not just be myself creating these pathways, but actually speaking to others who actively engage with the with the catalog as well and get their feelings and thoughts about what sort of pathways we could create and have them become curators of their own pathways. Because I think that'll be a really valuable way as well as it, because it's becoming, you're getting different perspectives of the information that exists out there as well.
0: I think it's quite clear to see Mark why you're stepping aside for the podcast. It's not like you're going to relax for a while, is it?
1: Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. So yeah. there's there's a lot of a lot of curation work to be done um to so sort of get the catalog in a in a in a good space which fortunately I've done quite a bit in in the year previous in terms of introducing topics. So we have a structure. We just now need the means to sort of present it. And it's Like These things, pathways, portfolios, um, I should also mention badges as well, um, which are obviously a popular thing, but they're worthwhile having because we're going to use badges as a way to show off how you've contributed to the community, how you've worked within the community. So, the portfolio shows your skills, your knowledge as a tester, but the badges will show, hey, I've spoken at a test bash. Hey, I've interacted on the club X amount of times. I've donated X amount of money to the scholarship. I've supported people in this way. Like That stuff should be shouted out about as well. So, you get the complete picture of who this person is, who they are within the community, and then who they are as a tester as well.
0: Yeah. You only have to tell me that there are going to be badges. I already want the badges.
1: Yes, that, that's the power of the badges. They make you, they make you want to have the badges. Um, uh, and it's been really interesting, like just, like I say, from my own personal sort of growth, becoming a product owner, looking at other people's products and stuff, and it, putting more of a sort of critical eye over that sort of stuff and learning from other people and trying to communicate ideas in a simple way, which for people who know me, I'm not known for that <laughs> quite a mixed bag in my head sometimes so having to learn how to sort of communicate that sort of stuff it's been it's been challenging but it's it's i i have enjoyed it i just i just need a some time to,
0: to focus, <laughs> like on. an island to go and sit on for a while. Like you, you've had a year, Mark.
1: <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I've done it all wrong. Yeah. I should have just put my feet <laughs> up for the last year. Stop talking to people.
0: And we've barely even touched upon uh, the subject of conferences themselves, which obviously has always been MOT's bread and butter. Which obviously you've got TestPass Manchester just around the corner. And to reiterate, if you're a pro member, then you get access to that to the online conference on the day and, and all the events around it, including the discussions on the club. You've got TestPass Netherlands and New Zealand coming up in, in their local time zones, but accessible to all pro members. I mean, even if there wasn't global pandemics going on, there's no way I would have gotten to go to New, to Netherlands or New Zealand with my current uh, family situation. So, spinning it to a positive, I, I cannot wait for the amount of content that's about to break out.
1: Well, Testbash Home was just such a massive success. We were so happy with like not just how it came out, but just how everyone responded to it, um, and it, to the point where I think we were a little bit emotional after we did it. It was just, it was crazy. So yeah, like we're we're working on all this other pro stuff, but it doesn't definitely doesn't mean that events are going away anytime soon. And you know, we will all be back together at some point. I'm I'm sure of it. It's just a question of when.
0: You can bet it. And um, we'll, we'll definitely need a week to recover afterwards. I think the, the amount of uh, socialising, <laughs> should we say in in quotes,
1: <laughs> will be done. Socialising, yes. Those. Yes, although some people have maybe been socialising a bit at home, so they've uh, <laughs> built up a resistance anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's that it. I think like the online stuff um, with, with events is it will still be there, but it will change. Um, but I think it will change for the better, and it will take advantage of the the things that we get from being online and like things like the whole twenty four hour thing and being able to offer. Material to people across the world. You know, it was certainly not our intention to encourage everyone to stay up for twenty four hours. That was that's mad. I I didn't. I went to bed.
0: No, I I obviously was looking after a young child, so I was able to drop in from time to time, when I was made to be awake. But uh, yeah, it was good to be able to then watch all that back after it was on on demand.
1: Yeah. So yeah, there's there's so much that we're like we we want to offer, and we want to support people, and we definitely want to help people. Like. All the essential stuff um, that we were doing, that was really hard to put a pause on that. But um, I was on a call this morning with uh, Dan Ashby and that's coming back in some shape or formal manner, probably through the pathways. You know, we still want to help people grow as testers we still want to help people as well in terms of finding other avenues as well so you know if you're someone who has been made redundant but has lots of knowledge and ways to teach testing or things to share about testing then we can help you with that stuff because the more that we can share with um others the more we can reward you as an instructor but also the more we just progress and grow as as an industry as a whole
0: Well, you're making me feel tremendously guilty for taking up your time. I think we need to to wrap this up and get back to it. Um, Yes. What was the last song that you chose that was featured by a band that's been on the podcast
1: before? So the band is Incubus. I was a little bit obsessed with them uh, in my late teens, early 20s, to say the least, and actually that kind of responsible for me me meet my wife because we had a shared love for them. So I, I had to choose them. Interestingly, I think the song pick works quite nicely with your um of monsters and men pick because the warmth is what I've gone for, which starts off with this sort of sampled whale song, uh, whilst there's this really cool riff playing. Um and it's it's also got that sort of nice chill vibe, you know, sea lapping at your feet, sort of. Do you remember that? Do you remember do you remember beaches? <laughs> oh. Um It's got that vibe to it as well. It's a nice chill vibe. But Again, it's interestingly as well. It's another song pick that really the big thing is it's the drums. Like it's got such a, a, a an excellent groove to it that kind of plays off um, the main riff. That I've i I love it. I just I think it's like one of my favourite songs, and um, I could just listen to it again and again and again. And I think it's a, a good final pick before I go. Should I hold my head up high? Throw a wrench in spokes by I'm
0: leaving the air behind me that was the warm sounds of incubus with the warmth bringing us a a soothing conclusion to uh, what's been a, a deep dive through the troubles of the coronavirus pandemic and hopefully some of the green shoots that are coming out of the other side of it let's wrap this up the way that we usually do which is we talk about bringing books to the island with us we'll each pick one to go with us My selection is a fiction book by Blake Crouch, who famously wrote the Wayward Pines novels and a few others. Uh, His latest book is called Recursion, and it's basically a time travel slash inception sort of story about, Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to give too much away plot-wise, but it's about... The outbreak of what they call false memory syndrome, and basically what's happening is, people can go back in time and change timelines, but everyone whose life gets affected still has memories of the other timeline. Effectively, so for example, suppose you go back in time and stop a terrorist attack. Everyone who watched the news that night um, doesn't see a terrorist attack, but they have this really strong memory of watching it happen. And of course, then you've got everyone who is actually caught up in the terrorist attack. You know, they remember dying. And it's a really deep dive into what reality is and you know what it means to be alive and and what it means to have consciousness. And like a lot of things these days, it's being turned into a Netflix original movie. There's also, it's been greenlit for a TV series as well. I really recommend getting in and seeing the book before you, <laughs> before you watch it, because I, I really enjoy discovering those mysteries in book format rather than seeing the film and then going back and reading the book when you already know the answers
1: that that's definitely up my street um and the sort of that they're the type of books i really enjoy so i'll definitely uh i'll definitely seek that out um well i should talk about my book um so i was do i go fiction or non-fiction i decided to go for non-fiction um the last sort of couple of years is a sort of little side thing with all the work i've been doing i've been sort of a amateur interest in um, AI AI safety and AI ethics um, which has sort of kind of opened up a lot of interesting books and stuff that I've been reading around that but uh, one of the books that I picked that kind of was sort of one foot in that space of you know the ethics of AI and how it could be impacted but then it also ended up Being a sort of design-based book as well is um, "Invisible Women: Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men" by uh, Caroline Criado Perez. I think I said her name correctly. Um, Which I I, I initially bought it because of the data bias part to talk about, sort of, to learn more about, sort of, maybe how that's related to AI ethics, but. it's, what it's done is it's just really opened my eyes to sort of how sort of real minor things in our life actually are sort of more steered towards men and th- things from like, there's a really interesting uh, sort of introductory chapter, which just talks about how um, clearing snow on the road is sexist, um, which sort of sounds like a really sort of, you know, kind of, soundbite that you would expect from some sort of like shock jock or something like that. But actually, when you start following the the data behind it or the lack of data, um, it really starts opening up um, like ways in which both men and women are negatively impacted from it. So it's a really fascinating book. I'm about halfway through it. i um, I did get slightly distracted by Ghost of Tsushima on PS4, um, so let's yeah let let me never pretend that I'm high-minded, um, but yeah I hope to finish that very soon, and I think it's I think it's a fantastic book, and I think for any tester it's worth reading because it actually highlights how the absence of things can actually have a massive impact on the thing that you are the decisions you're making or the products that you're creating. Excellent. I'll be sure to check that out without
0: wanting to dox myself. It's my birthday today and I've got an Amazon voucher that I need to spend. So I think that might be uh,
1: near the top of my list. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should have said happy birthday at oh. the start of the podcast. I did intend to, but we just got, I got so excited that you're back. talking to you for hours. That's the best point. present I could have had anyway. <laughs> that is a... Patent. I I will say, for those
0: of you who haven't got an exhaustive knowledge of our back catalogue, that book sounds like it will pair really nicely with one that was selected by Claire Reckless, who picked the book Technically Wrong, Sexist Apps, Biased Algorithms, and Other Threats of Toxic Tech, which is a lot more directly focused towards tech, but um, two very valuable books that I think everyone could do with reading. Um, Those books are on the Goodreads list, which is linked in the show description. And all the songs that we've chosen are in the Spotify playlist, which I've been Keeping up with during the past year, <laughs> Eve. It's been really. You have. It's been really good fun. Yes, thank you for doing that. When episodes have dropped, for example, in the middle of the night, and I've been up doing feeds. I've been sat there, just, you know, skimming through the episodes to get the songs to get them on the Spotify playlist ASAP. So, uh,
1: it's. Um, yeah, which has been tricky with some of the picks. I'm sure. Uh, thanks, James. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mark Tom Mark Tomlinson's ones were yeah. certainly yeah. <laughs> esoteric
0: um, so normally this is the point which we wrap up and say um, what have you got coming up I suspect you've covered everything that you you're, you're uh, got on the horizon
1: yeah the focus is just you know improving the pro offering expanding the site and just making it better and getting feedback from people so you know if you have any thoughts if you're listening to this podcast and you have any thoughts or ideas to share with me I am certainly open to discussing them and finding out more Super duper. As for myself, as well as Testers on Discs with
0: Neil Stud coming back, uh, myself and Dan Belling have recently restarted the screen testing podcast, which is myself and Dan being pedantic about films often involving tech. We've kind of into season two now. We're trying to do a lot more tech focused films. So we've uh, hopefully by the time this is out. Our episode about the social network will come out, and that I think may be one of the best episodes we've done. It gets uh, we've got Jenna Charlton at She Wrestles Test on that episode, and we get quite deep into some of the systemic problems within tech. And it's I think it's quite an enjoyable episode. And on top of that, I've started doing trying to do some sort of streaming stuff recently. I, um, my Twitch setup hasn't been brilliant. I was inspired by the stuff that you self Mark did with automation and testing on Twitch. Um, I'm doing some stuff at the moment once a week on YouTube. I've got a series called Let's Explore, where basically I set out with a small mission with no idea how I'm going to do it, and then I muddle my way to a solution basically to remove some of the stigma behind having to get things right first time, the fact that we learn by making mistakes. So, um, it's going to work quite quite well so far. Thanks to everyone who subscribed. Uh, I still don't really know how all the tech works, so all I'll say is check my Twitter at Neil Studd, and whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm doing it, it will be on there right mark I really do need to let you go because your time is far more valuable than spending it with me
1: N- nonsense <laughs> maybe maybe necessary but not, uh, not valuable. not necessarily
0: but it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and on behalf of everyone who's been listening thank you very much for, for keeping the uh, the lights running on the island you know you've not got a generator or anything I don't know how you've done it
1: Oh, um, lots of fire ah okay I'll have to put, yeah. I'll put the fires out and we'll get a. Yeah, <laughs> you, you might be down on a few coconuts <laughs> due to the trees I had to put
0: but we'll be back in next month with episode 40 with me and a guest back to the way it used to be uh, it's the end of the era but it's been a pleasure Mark and you'll always be welcome back anytime you know, we should do a chat like once a year just as a state of play sort of thing
1: yeah yeah it'd be good to come back like yeah some point next year have another chat think of another arbitrary way to pick some <laughs> songs
0: <laughs> and you can keep up with the podcast on twitter at testers island if you're interested in being a guest on the show there's a link to the sign up form in the show notes and all that leaves me to say is thank you mark from the bottom of my heart
1: it's been a pleasure
0: cheers and we'll speak to you all very soon thank you very much everybody bye
1: bye testers island discs is brought to you by ministry of testing written and produced by mark winteringham Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Tester's Island.